Hello, welcome back to Portrait Africa. My name is Akiandi Adirele, and I've missed you all. I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Tony Kansala Adirele. Hi everyone, it's nice to be back talking with you all. I'm Emma Hickey, doing wonderful work with you all. Awesome. Awesome. So, the reason for this podcast, and it's a few weeks um, removed from the actual event, but Robert Mugabe has died and been buried. Part of the reason we didn't release an episode to discuss this immediately was because we were still waiting for a lot of the details regarding his burial and uh, the issues that his family was going through with the Zimbabwean government to be resolved. Um, Robert Mugabe died in Singapore a few weeks ago, um, on apparently of, a, of an illness of some sorts. Um, he he his the, his death was announced on September sixth. And uh, he was apparently surrounded by family and passed away uh, very peacefully. Um, Robert Mugabe was 94 at the time, 95, I apologize, at the time. And um, he lived from 1980 to 2017. Those are the details of Robert Mugabe's death. Um, in discussing this, I think there are a few things we want to address. One, the details which we've just covered. Um, two, what it means. And then three, just thoughts on how things go moving forward and what's the future of strong men and leaders of this kind have, have been and maybe discussing his legacy as well. Um, so Anikon, um, do you want to, I think a good place to start would be talking about um, his 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 death and what what that means for the people of Zimbabwe. You know, he lived to be ninety five. I don't think you mourn someone who lives. I mean, you mourn anybody that passes because it's sad. But at the age of ninety five, that's a that's a life, a long life that has been lived. That's not an untimely death in any way whatsoever. Um, however, you know, Mugabe was kicked out of the presidency two years ago at the age of ninety three. Um, by his longtime ally Emerson Mnangagwa, and um, he was certainly already out of power. But the question is, you know, what does what does that mean for the people he left behind? Is his life changed? Has his life been affected? As part of this episode, we'll also be sharing an interview uh, that we had with a Zimbabwean lady I know personally. I'm going to give some insight to how people feel about the actual events and about everything that happened in Zimbabwe. All right, you there? Yes, I'm here. Um, and I was just listening to you, and you're right. At 94, we don't mourn, we don't mourn the, uh, the life lived. We actually celebrate, um, especially in the African tradition, if someone leaves to their 94th year, that's usually a life that is celebrated and not mourned. Um, but in the case of ex-presidents Robert Mugabe, it seemed to not be the case. And this might be because of his legacy, uh, but it's, it seemed not to be life mourned. And um, as we go into the episode, it will be interesting to find out why. Okay, so a few things to be covered kind of just from our end at a high level is his legacy. Um, Zim, he ruled Zimbabwe for from 1980 to 2017 so that makes it 37 years and that's a long time for a singular individual to rule a country um in that time he first of all came into leadership as the 
savior, the, the, uh, the man who toppled the Rhodesian, the apathetic uh, Rhodesian government at the time, came in as a hero to the Zimbabwean people, um, had a lot of reforms on the things he thought about. He's famous for one, um, collecting back all the lands from the uh, whites and the colonial uh, families and farmers that were in uh, Zimbabwe uh, from old Rhodesia at the time. Um, and that was one of the things that made him uh, very, very, uh, I guess, infamous at the time. Um, un uh, unfortunately, that's kind of sequenced into a series of other things that happened that, um, I, I don't want to say tainted his legacy, but really uh, formed a leg the legacy that we currently understand uh, Mugabe to be. And I guess my question really is, you know, what do you think about all these leaders we have that start out with good intentions come in, you know, are the savior of the people, help topple apartheid, apartheid and, and, you know, and change things for their people, um, only to, you know, hold on to power too long and not coach or mentor any future leaders and uh, essentially kind of leave uh, the country in a bad state, which is where Zimbabwe, quite frankly, is right now. Right. Um, I think I have two thoughts. I think initially you had to question if the intentions were indeed good or they just seem to be that way because of the current the actions that happened at that time or you have to think about the fact that good intentions are not don't always lead to good consequences there are a lot of things bad actions that people have started off with good intentions so we need to stop being as forgiving towards our leaders or presidents who start off with this so-called good intentions um, because good intentions don't drive any progress good actions do um, so Right. I think sometimes we can be too forgiving um, with excusing it as starting off with good intentions. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with you. There's, there's almost no way to fully know um, how, you know. Good intentions how, how, were. How good that, like what, you don't know what his heart was, but, you know, you, you have to give him credit at least for the, the action and what it did for the people at the time. Um, but, you know, really, you know, Rhodesia, Southern Rhodesia, which is what Zimbabwe is, was called, um, another Rhodesia where, where, where um, you know, they were they run by brutal and very uh, aggressive uh, white majority at the time, um, and he fought against, you know, Iron Smith's white government um, in the Rhodesian Bush War, and you know, toppled them eventually, or you know, we've managed to get them to leave. Um, and then in 1980, there was the, and the first election in, in Zimbabwe. Mugabe, you know, won the uh, the election, became the prime minister um, of what would then became uh, Zimbabwe at the time. Um, he was Marxist in his ideology, which is why a lot of his actions kind of show that the state should control all and then share everything equally. But um, you know, I think a lot of people kind of compare him to Nelson Mandela in the sense that. Uh, for him more so than more so than in the case in South Africa, people essentially consider that he actually did what should have been done in terms of trying to bring a, an equality of the wealth system within uh, Zimbabwe by taking the wealth from the people who had it from colonial times, which is something that never had in, happened in South Africa, which is what they're now trying to do. Um, I personally believe that that's, I don't think, I think that is the correct thing to do but the manner in which you do it is very important. One, it's not something that can happen quickly. There has to be, wealth is not just in terms of money, 
um, but it's in terms of knowledge, understanding of running enterprise and all of those things. And I think that there should have been a, a you know, hey, over a 15 year period, we're going to teach people, um, give them access to land, maybe tax the, you know, powerful uh, uh, people who own the land and said, you know, hey, you have to give up some, some of the land to the government and the government then redistributes that. Um, in a manner and then or force them, you know, to have maybe subsidize their taxes by, you know, saying, hey, if you teach another African person to run a farm and he employs a bunch of people, then, you know, your taxes aren't as much. But they, I think that there should, there should have been a far more um, sophisticated way to do this. Um, however, uh, unfortunately, sometimes um, sophistication is not politically uh, viable. You know, it's not going to win you an election if you say in 10 years we're going to do this and the next to get it done. Um, this is not going to help your popularity, but um, that was maybe one of the major decolonization activities that he took. Um, he emphasized redistribution of of land, um, and I think that um, initially started. You know, it was like, oh, you know, if you want to sell the land, we will have somebody ready to buy it. Um, but it didn't redistribute quickly enough, and then he just like I think it was in two thousand where he just. Uh, he encouraged Zimbabweans, yo, go there and take the land, it's yours. <laughs> like, get there, take it violently, to any means necessary, and it's yours. Um, but that's, you know, that was the start at the start of their, you know, their their economic demand, the, the lockdown. Of course, you know, all the folks where those, you know, white-owned farms are from, you know, gave him international sanctions. So the Zimbabwean economy has suffered considerably um, ever since that point. So... Um, it's just it's just one of those things that you know there's a duality to his essence, right? Um, I think maybe that moment, um, maybe there was a better way to do what he was doing, um, or maybe there wasn't. Maybe it had to be violent and aggressive, and in the long term, it eventually, you know, pattern us because we're still living in that history. But um, it's just one of those things that kind of when I think about Mugabe, that it, it just you know it's kind of back and forth, and then you compare that to Mandela, where um, the argument too is that you know, hey, you know, he didn't do any redistribution of wealth, or at least there was not a lot of it. At least people would say um, whether or not that that is true. Um, and then you know, most of the wealth in South Africa is still owned by the white minorities. So people I make the argument that hey, as you're still in colonialism, all all that that's happened now is that you can walk on the same side of the street as the white person, or whatever the case may be. So there's those two parallels, like who really got it right, um, Mugabe or Mandela, because those two folks are they're late now. Um, but it's one of those things that, you know, I think even as Africans moving forward and thinking about these key issues, we need to think about. Um, and, and sometimes these issues, resolving them are complicated. It's not friendly. It's not fun. It takes effort. I apologize for my spiel there, but it's just something that's been kind of on my mind ever since his passing. Um, he's not somebody I liked, you know, during his life because of a lot of things he said and the things he did. But, you know, maybe maybe in some ways he had some good ideas and in some some ways he just didn't have the good ideas. So, um, yeah, what are your thoughts, Michael? So while we were talking and um, with what the little I know of Robert Mugabe's life and um, some of what I know about African leaders, especially African leaders involved with um independence fights and getting their countries um, independent. I think one thing that we misconstrue as Africans is maybe that the military leaders, those that help with um, fighting against colonial powers as promoting them to being 
prime ministers because Rupert Mugabe started off as prime minister of Rhodesia um, before becoming president. I think that we there should have been a separation between someone who is passionate in leading the charge of the war against uh, the British to regain our independence versus actually becoming a leader of a nation. Because one thing that we can tell from his life is that he wanted the powers back into the Africans' hands, right? If that was fighting for independence or taking land from the white farmers and giving it back to the black farmers. Now, he was just a fighter, is what I'm trying to say. I think, yeah, in he, essence, he, he was... Parts where he was good in terms of fighting, but beyond that, he wasn't necessarily a good leader or somebody that could really complicate their things. I feel you. Right, right. Um, and, and I think that's probably where it should have ended because we see beyond the, the fight, the, beyond the fight for independence, he still went on to fight amongst his people, you know. So I, I think that differentiation, and we've, we have so many presidents that started off that way, started off the fighting in, for independence, helping the country gain their independence, and then going on to become president and not doing much outside of that or leading the country to deteriorated states or becoming authoritarians um, and uh, figureheads in that way that never leave the position. So I think that if we had that distinction that maybe not every military leader should become a president, I think that might help resolve some of uh, the issues that we're seeing now. Yeah, yeah. Um... And, you know, we're going to listen to Shamiso talk for a few minutes now, and then we're going to get to it after that. So thank you guys for listening to our thoughts. Um, and then we'll, we'll speak with you very briefly after the recording is done. I am generally indifferent because mm. he wasn't the president of the country anymore. Um, and also, he was not a young man, you know, his death was inevitable. And it wasn't something that people were, I don't think, I don't think particularly sad or happy about. It mm. was, it, it feels very indifferent. I, I think people are mostly indifferent simply because the country is still going through a lot of problems, you know. So I think it's a luxury to some extent for people to look, to even mourn Mugabe or to even think about him. It's, it's a luxury that many people just can't afford, you know. Um, you just think about it for two seconds and you go, wow, and that's it. Like, there's not much thought or heart that goes behind it. I think for many people, because they're still dealing with their everyday struggles. They still have problems with the problems with the current government, with the current leader, or wherever you are, whatever you're doing, it just seems like life goes on. He's gone, you know? Um, yeah, it, it seems like such an unfactor, honestly. Um, that's, that's but, right. but, but at the same time, I guess it speaks to his history as, um, like what you were saying, a liberator, um, 
someone who liberated the country from colonial rule, a participant in that, um, because there is some sort of buzz about it at the same time. And the, the international community is talking about it, especially within the continent-based conversation about it. It's kind of making news. But I think for most people, it's just one of those things where, okay, next, you know, like, it's just not that big. A, it's not, it's not, it's not as big as if, if he were president, that would have been a, like, I think a more, a more, a bigger conversation for Zimbabwean locals themselves, per se. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's totally fair. He was ousted, um, well over, you know, a little while ago and his uh, deputy at the time, um, Mr. How do you pronounce his name? Is it Nangagwa? Nangagwa, yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. Gaga, yeah. And, and um, he runs it, but, you know, all of that, including his deputy, are all in some way part of his legacy. And like you said, people are still dealing with what life is. Um, and in many ways, that's the life that Mugabe left for them. Um, my question to you is, you know, there's someone who started out to, as, a, as a liberator for a good, for a long time. My understanding that he was actually a really great leader and, and doing things and going in the right trajectory, but things changed. Um, do you have any idea why that happened or if it was just par for the course? You know, I think right now there's a lot of debate on his legacy and there's a lot of debate on whether he did good things, you know, um, mm. because I think there's this, there's always two policies that any leader handles. There's the international policy and then there's the domestic policy. And his domestic policy was marred pretty early on Um he is, there was a genocide that occurred under his leadership uh, that people believe he orchestrated a tribal-based uh, genocide. And so oh. that happened pretty early on in his career. This was just after independence. So his domestic policy has been, I, I would say, reckless and questionable very, from very early in his career. Um, but however, on the international stage, it seems like he's had a very positive, or at least there has seems to be a positive picture of him. So that the domestic policy part is where it's just like, I don't think Zimbabweans necessarily feel like he had such a great legacy. And he did have some good things that he did, but his the same legacy he pushed so hard for fell apart whilst he was in leadership so there's that question to say was he ever true and honest to those ideals to begin with or was that a front like what was that and i think i think people will never truly know uh because he was at a certain point championed as an as an educator he pushed for um the building of schools to educate the black child very early on in his career and he tried to make education very accessible but those schools today, and, you know, I, I'm being generous by looking at them today, even if I look at them from 20 years ago, those schools didn't have school supplies, they didn't have teachers, they didn't have mm. anything, they were falling apart, they didn't have buildings, they didn't have shelter. So it's like things have been in ruin for so long domestically that it's really, really challenging to see the goodness of his legacy, especially for someone like me. I was born in 93. I don't know Mugabe's good legacy personally. Mm. Um, and I think that's, that's the reality that a lot of people are dealing with. Many people who remember Mugabe's 
greatness or good legacy are are old, you know, they're about to reach yeah. retirement age and they they have no pensions today. They have nothing to retire with or to. So it's a question of, is there a legacy to discuss? I mean, the negative one is very easy to see because it continues on today, but the positive one is really, really, really challenging domestically to see. Mm-hmm. I think internationally people love that Mugabe seems to be, um, Pan-Africanist and pro-black and said the right things and, you know, to them. But to us, it just always came across as hypocritical because you're talking about empowering black people. You're talking about caring for black people, but you have domestic policies like Muramba China that literally tear down people's homes and shacks Mm. simply because they were not on the city plan. So things like that, things like that, like they're very, some, big moves that were made domestically that were really, really detrimental to people and that people just can never forget their scarring. So the domestic policy was poor. And I think he set a precedence. Personally, I think he set a precedence for poor leadership. Because when you do look at the yeah. current president, he has nothing to step up to. There is no standard to step up to. You know, um, so it's like you allowed the, the leadership quality to decay to this place you allowed the leadership standard for the president to decay to the state. And now it seems like people don't know what good leadership or good governance would look like, except for someone who speaks half posh with a half baked British accent. That's all we've got, you know, like his, his ability to speak, to be an orator, to be charismatic. I think that's the only standard of leadership that he set that may stick uh but honestly outside of that i don't see what he what has stuck even during his lifetime you know so i don't think there's much of a legacy a good legacy to talk about i can definitely go on about the bad things that he has done yeah yeah what he's made permissible and uh you know it's always kind of really painful to look at these people who are iconic whether or not for good or bad and and see them you know the reality at the end of the day for all the speeches aside all the quirky things he said his interesting accents at the end of the day his people were suffering and and, um what what you know what does that look like currently what did that look like when he was being ousted um, one of the more popular things most people know about Zimbabwe is the hyperinflation and how um, that has affected quality of life there. Do you mind speaking more on, you know, what is it like to be a Zimbabwean today? Um, so I, I, do, I currently do not live in Zimbabwe, but I can say that being Zimbabwean today looks like the only hope that people have what success is outside of Zimbabwe for, for, for the general population. You know, you look at how many Zimbabweans are in South Africa today and really suffering from these xenophobic attacks uh, or who are abroad in general. Um, I mean, it's a few million uh, people in a population that's only 16 million. So it's a huge chunk of the population and it's some of the most able-bodied, most educated, most hardworking, most professional people. So um, 
there, many Zimbabweans are, are leaving Zimbabwe, or at least they look at leaving Zimbabwe as something to celebrate. And then mm. on on the on the daily, um, I mean, right now Zimbabwe is projected to have almost, I mean, a few million people who are going to need food aid, you know, and are going to be starving. So the average Zimbabwean is starving. You know, they're struggling. The the things that made people once valuable, like education, are falling on the wayside. Uh, Zimbabwe had a huge electricity crisis recently and i mean it was so bad that they couldn't even supply electricity to the to the to the look to the industry <laughs> um which means industry was not running because there's no power you know um we're having problems with supplying clean water to the urban areas which is just a health risk you know waiting to to wipe away thousands so being a Zimbabwean today looks very challenging. Um, there is a, a, a pseudo currency in the in the country right now that its value is eroding very quickly. So some would argue we're back in the days of hyperinflation. The last time I checked, we were second to Venezuela on hyperinflation. Mm. At that time, wow. it was uh, a small. To us Zimbabweans, we look at that as small, but I think a small two hundred percent. Uh, but, you know, um, the government has done what it can to kind of stop some of that information from coming out, stop those figures from being calculated in real time. So um, mm. I, it's, it's, I don't know. You know, I, I feel sorry for the people who are in Zimbabwe. I know Zimbabweans are, ha- are happy, loving people, but the reality is we have no healthcare system. Uh, we have um, a, a fully private honestly, education system um, for the most, if you cannot afford to pay school fees, I don't see how you're going to be able to get into school. The teachers are paid by the government, but they've been on strike from back to back over the last few months because they feel like their wages um, are not adequate. Uh, same problem with the, with the hospitals and the, do- and the doctors and the nurses. So things that you know, the public needs, the support that the public needs, the government is failing to provide. And I mean, this did not start today. You know, it did not start today. It's definitely something that started under Mugabe. Mugabe passed away whilst he was in Singapore getting, I mean, amazing treatment in a beautiful, I mean, beautiful (laughs) uh, room that looked almost like a hotel room and a beautiful suite. And so it just, it's just, it's just, it's just the case on the ground. Our former president did not get treatment in the country. Our current vice president is not getting treatment in the country. He's also somewhere in yeah. India getting treatment uh, for his uh, illness. So, I mean, that's the state of the healthcare. It's so bad that none of the none of the public servants, I mean, high up in hierarchy, want to use it. You know, they 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 get flown out somewhere else to go and get care. And I just. I mean, that's where we are as a nation, you know, and basic commodities are scarce or unaffordable. We're talking about fuel, we're talking about bread, <laughs> we're talking about cornmeal. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. And we're about to go into a farming season um, in a few months. And I don't know if people are going to be able to, to farm, or grow and, um, and really support themselves during that season if we're already projected to be having um, food shortages. So. So, so all that being said now, I guess the next question to ask is, 
is their hope, you know. So that's Zimbabweans looking for sustenance for the next day. So that man or woman, you know, looking for the how they're going to raise their children. Um, is there hope in any way for those folks? Do you see any light at the end of this tunnel of of uh, I mean, the problem in Zimbabwe, the problems in Zimbabwe are so embedded in politics and the politics looks like it's not going to change. I mean, from what I know right now, um, the opposition tried to stage a few protests that were all banned by the, by the Mm. police. They were, they were, they were basically called off and, um, there's no freedom of expression. So people cannot communicate with the government not even through protests and um, opposition leaders after that uh, pro- failed protest or however you'd want to call it, that uh, not as successful as it was intended to be protest. Opposition leaders have been getting arrested um, and thrown in jail on a variety of charges. So the political landscape doesn't look good. <laughs> it doesn't look very hopeful. Um, in terms of having a, a, a democracy or a civilian government, um, the current government obviously came into power by ways of a, a, a they call it a soft coup. So yeah. it's obvious that that is going to be more of an authoritarian regime, if possible. Um, we just don't know if it's going to yield anything. Um, there's been an attempt to engage the international community uh, to ask for, for funds, you know, um, to support some development in the country, but that doesn't seem to be having much progress, mainly due to the human rights violations that happened at the same time. So I know there was a joint statement from the EU saying that for things to change, uh, Zimbabwean government has to show an earnest desire for reforms, you know, um, political yeah. reforms. And so Without that, which seems to have been the strategy that the current government had going into power, um, it doesn't seem like there's much of a plan, you know, and it doesn't seem like there's much confidence being poured into the Zimbabwean. I think right now most Zimbabweans hope lies lies out of leaving Zimbabwe, you know, like that's really what pe- that's how that's really how people think get out. Wow. <laughs> and don't ever come back or, you know, which is why, again, like I think it ties back into the the xenophobic attacks going on in South Africa. I don't see a lot of Zimbabweans opting to leave South Africa, um, regardless of how tense the situation is. Um, There've been a few people who have opted to leave, mostly women and children, um, you know, who've opted to leave. And I mean, that makes very much sense, but, I think that in general, Zimbabweans see their hope as though it's outside of Zimbabwe. And, you know, there are people who are in rural communities who don't really understand how politics even affects their life. To them, they're going to be stuck in their cycle of poverty, you know, no access to health care, no access to good education. You know, they're going to be stuck in that cycle and they're not really going to be able to be empowered as they were in the past by the government you know there were so many government programs that used to run early on in Mugabe's career that vanished and have never been able to be resuscitated so it's it's 
I mean, it, it's questionable whether or not there is much hope. I think, I think as a collective, I don't think there's much hope, but maybe on an individual level, someone can always find something to get themselves from point A to point B or to climb some sort of ladder. But Mm. the reality is the ladder is, there's not much to climb. There are so many questions on the legislative side. Again, things that have been left a mess, like for example, people always credit Mugabe with the land question, Um, you know, him being wanting to empower the black man with the land, but there's been no solid plan on the ground on how someone can actually own the piece of land <laughs> after they wow. after they've been given that. I mean, I think right now they offered long term leases. They offered mm-hmm. long term leases to people, but and they're supposed to be approved by the Ministry of Land, I think, but it's not very realistic because documentation is not modern in Zimbabwe. It's a, it's a, it's a piece of paper, it's a file, it's, it's, it's old. So what happens when two people have a piece of paper saying the same thing about both of them? Huh. You know, so there's so, so that was never really worked there. It was never really resolved uh, till this day. And I know so many people who have pieces of land and they are farming and they worry that one day they're going to lose that what they have. They, they're worried that they're going to lose it because they really don't, it's, it's not certain how much of a stake they have. And there have been times when courts have ruled in one way, but there's so much lawlessness in the country. It's really hard to, to tell whether or not it's going to become something. So I don't know. I, I don't know what, what hope someone in Zimbabwe has. And I, I, I wish, I wish everybody, <laughs> I wish everybody well. I wish the country well. I wish the country would do so much better. Um, and I wish the leadership would do so much better. But I think, you know, I don't know. Hopefully, people don't see, you know, the, 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 um, in saying goodbye to Mugabe, people do not see what they had hoped for. That with Mugabe leaving, it would be a clean slate for the country to start again. Uh, I think a lot of people are calling into question whether the isms that Mugabe started are gone or will ever go away. So, it, you know, it's farewell to him, but that, that's, that's all that you can really say, you know, about that. Yeah. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you taking some time out to talk to me. Um, I and we at Ponce Africa always hope that there's some way, that there's some future in which things line up perfectly and the right people get some power or Zimbabweans, you know, finally have the leverage they need to, you know, ask the folks that are currently running things and things change systematically all the way through. Um, we think that it's an age where, you know, we can see the world around us far more clearly than we ever could. Um, and hopefully we can share in a world that's more prosperous. Um, do you have any final words to somebody that might be listening from Zimbabwe right now? <laughs> a message of some sort, something to tell them. I mean, um, you know, live your life, move on. You know, this death is insignificant. I mean, significant so much as death is significant. 
but, you know, as he said <laughs> during one of his final speeches as president, there's so much work to be done, you know, and um, it's very good to reflect on the past um, to, to, to ensure that we don't make the same mistakes. But in this case, the past is not, it's not far behind us. It seems to be quite here. And, you know, there's really, there's really not much else you can do except, you know, stay true to who you are, focus, work hard, uh, work hard for yourself and don't expect too much from, <laughs> from, uh, from, from a government that may never come to for you. You know, I think the hope of Zimbabweans seems to definitely lie outside of uh, politics and leadership and things of that nature. So, guys, you've listened to uh, a good French minister talk about it. I think the overwhelming point she makes there is that nothing has changed. Um, this person, the effect of the person does not go when they die. And it's almost a twisted form of legacy in that the states that the country is in, the, the you know, lack of access to jobs and resources that the Ghanaian people are, are in the state of it that they're currently in hasn't changed whether or not he's dead. In fact, his legacy lives on in the person who's currently running the country, you know, Emerson. Um, and, and I think that it just, it, it just, you know, it's, it's kind of sad. Um, There's almost a sense of just like, eh, you know, okay, is that cool? But, you know, it's almost a sense of just, you know, things haven't changed. Um, his transition didn't change things, uh, at least as far as we've seen so far. And, um, I, I'm, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's almost a little sad, um, and we hope for a better future, and I hope in some way. But um, to be frank, there's sometimes where it's difficult to see how that happens based on certain circumstances, um, and you know, right. as much as we try to be to be respectful to the dead and to be to the family of, of Mugabe, wherever they may be. Um, as you know, he still had his effect, you know, and, and that deserves to be spoken about. That people who had to leave the country because of the state he left it in, or the threats they had to their their own safety and well-being. Um, and th those are that's the reality. And um, I think Sami so speaks far far more clearly than I could emphasize, and it's our personal experience as well. Michael, um, any final thoughts? Yes, um, just listening to to her talk, yeah, I, th I thought sad is the word. It, it was really sad to think that she, it's that the indifference would be the feeling um, left behind of, towards Mugabe's legacy. He ruled for a long time um, for his people to just be indifferent to his death. And that might be because he was no longer in power at the time of his death, but his power, you know, is still, still in the air. Uh, he, no, he, it was only a few years ago that he stepped down, uh, resigned. 
So to think that it would be different was was kind of sad. Uh, sad would be the word. I almost feel like I would have felt a little better if it was anger or uh, or you know joy over his that he's finally passed or anger that you know he did so many terrible things. But indifferent was not the word I was expecting. Also thinking about what. She, the differences between the legacies that portrayed. And she mentioned a good point that the, domestically and internationally, there were two often very contradictory views of Robert Mugabe. Um, internationally, like many of you, uh, including myself, we hear Mugabe starting off with good intentions and um, later, later spiraling into um, some very bad positions. But she brought up the fact that domestically, his legacy was damaging to his people and set a poor precedent for future leaders. Um, and so much so that she mentioned that people in the country that currently live there now, because he's reigned for so long, have only gotten to know his, the bad legacy, the bad, you know, all they see is the bad. All, and they feel the effect um, of the battle of the damaging legacy so much that the, they don't have that, oh, he was once good. Um, and he's no longer a good perspective that we might have. Um, and, and and they justifiably so um, to have that perspective. Um, I think it's easier from the outside to, to see that, oh, good turn pa bad power corrupts perspective, whereas from the inside, it's just bad, you know. It's always been bad, yeah. I mean, right. think about right. for 37 years. Right, and she talks about the, the the state of the healthcare in the country, especially well, towards the end of Robert Mugabe's life and him receiving treatment outside of the country while the state of healthcare in the country is poor. And it's a perspective that many of us as Africans can relate to. So many of the presidents, we hear of them spending more time outside of the country receiving mm -hmm. treatment, uh, whereas in people I within the country. Right. I said not naming naming names. <laughs> well, while many in the people, many of the people in the country suffer under under bad health care and not be able to receive treatment, not being able to afford to travel outside of the country to receive the treatment, and I, I think that it stinks that uh, this is a re reoccurring theme um, in our African nations, and then. She talks about, you know, even the current government that is in power now came in through a soft coup, as they would, as they would call it, and it's more likely to remain authoritarian. So it's more likely to con continue in the same um, legacy that Robert Mugabe has left behind. So the, the future kind of seems bleak, and, and, and that's really sad to see. It really is. Um, anyways, uh, thank you guys for listening to us. Um, this is certainly for us a soft special episode. We missed you guys. We wanted to put information in front of you guys. We're coming back real soon. Um, we're going to have our first episode of a new season coming in uh, about two weeks. We're expecting from now. Um, beyond that, we're going to be then producing. You guys know how we do it. You know, every week, back to back to back to back. Never let you rest. Never let you breathe. Um, we've got a lot. We've had a lot going on this summer. We had our first live recording on the podcast, and we can't wait to share that information and that, that, that with you. Um, we've set up our first website. Check us out at podsaveafrica.com. That's just a heads up for those of you who are listening in. Um, we're That's on the website. It's saveafricapod.com. Jesus. It's saveafricapod.com. You know, that's, that's the mission. Um, saveafricapod.com. Apologies. But um, we'll be highlighting that and hyping ourselves on our social media 
and all that stuff. Um, we thank you for supporting us and for listening in. A lot of you have reached out saying when's the podcast coming back and we've been working on it, um, both, both on the podcast and on, you know, developing and growing in our personal lives. Um, this next, next season, I'm hoping to be a little more personal with you guys, share what I'm going through, share, you know, the things I'm trying to do in my own personal life. Um, because you know, you guys, you guys are my friends, you guys are, my listeners are my friends and, and I look forward to sharing and growing with you guys and, and growing and helping our continent and our countries and our communities, um, in the different ways we can. Um, Monica, do you have any final words before the sign off? I don't believe I do. Look forward to talking more with you guys. Look forward to being more consistent moving forward when the new season starts. Look forward to you hearing more of my voice. Um, I'm preparing um, together a collaboration where we cover the African Union perspective. So that should be exciting. And uh, I look forward to sharing that with you once it's already. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening again. This has been Akande Adirili and Consola Adirili with Pulse Africa. Thank you so very much and we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye.